Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Irish Examiner Paper Talk Extra podcast. My name is Stephen Barry, and I'm filling in for Peter McNamara this week. He presumably has absconded since my own Tipperary stormed Porky Kiev again, already worth every penny, I say. But rather than claim the Examiner podcast for Tipperary, I'm here to prove to Derek McGrath substitutions are worth making sometimes. I just hope I can last a little longer than Mara and Fellaini did last night. Coming up in the show will be crouching, binding and setting for our Big Six Nations preview with in-house rugby expert Steve Neville and later we'll be slamming the transfer window shut with football analyst Rob McNamara. I'm joined by my colleague Mikey Sheehan now, but before we get to all that, Mikey, there's a big weekend's GA action ahead of us too. There's reruns of the All-Ireland Football semi-finals and pressure already on in the Hurling League. What's caught your eye this week? I, I, I suppose it's great to have the National Leagues back. I actually mm-hmm. saw a tweet, uh, it was John Heslin actually from Westmead and he was like, this is what we, we all want. We want to be talking, we want games on, we want excitement, entertainment, drama, stories. I must say, after the first round of the, the league in both hurling and football, it provided bundles of it. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to see an awful lot more of it again this week. So, the, the league structure, you know, when you, when you think about it and compare it to some of the, the, the championship season where you've only one or two games on a weekend and, you know, it, it has been two lesser opponents, this is just fast, it's action packed, and it's, um, it's brilliant entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, something that, again, as I always say, it's something for a, a full podcast another day, like on structures and stuff like that. But the week, the week ahead, um, we're looking at the two reruns of the All-Ireland semi-finals. I think Kerry going up to Mayo, both teams having won it the first weekend, is going to be an intriguing battle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think an awful lot of it was made of Kerry's um, attacking play and the scores that it put on the board against Donegal. Um, but I do worry still, and I think it was our Achilles heel last year about their defensive line, especially mm. in their full back line. As I was actually, I know Tomas O'Shea, he said that Tyro, like he was talking about Tyrone's attack and how that was like borderline disgraceful, I think he said, for scoring eight points that day. But I mean, Kerry weren't too smart there and conceding 3 14. I know they got the win, but. They, they got the win, and, and you're talking about Tyrone, but like, you, I don't know if you saw the Moy and Gueltock game that was mm. on TG4 on Saturday. That, that was just abysmal stuff like you know and it, it just seems to be the way that Tyrone and Tyrone culture seems to be as win at all costs you know mm. and, and look that's fair enough but I think you're after seeing and Donegal were exponents of it this weekend and I think their new manager has made the point that um, they're kind of trying to move away from their old style of being blanket defence to a bit more expensive mm. and open and, and you're even seeing that with some of the players that they brought through last weekend especially McBrearty who does seem to be given a new lease of life mm. when given that freedom to play like um, and that's an evolution that probably needs to happen with teams who have those blankets they don't seem to be getting the rewards anymore you can't you know you're not getting you're, you have a low percentage win chance when you're just relying on holding a team versus when you can do the attack but Kerry Kerry do have that attack inside down we saw the young players coming yeah. through but I mean defensively mm, the uh, d- d- there. It, yeah especially it's, it, it's the signs we saw against Mayo last year that their full back line and the, the replay in particular was just torn asunder um, and why they like I thought that it was Kerry had a, an, an off day but they were still in it with two or three minutes to go um, despite despite what was after going on so like if Kerry can nail down that full back line in particular I, I think it gives them a, a, a foundation to build on for the rest of the championship like mm-hmm. they have all the stars and they have all the you know the, the up and coming um, superstars that are going to be coming through and O'Shea again and you saw Clifford make a, a very steady impact and, and in a way I was delighted that he wasn't a star of the show for Kerry because I've been talking here a few times like mm-hmm. the expectation levels are surrounding David Clifford are just phenomenal like and I can't wait to see what he's going to do over the next 10-15 years in the world of GA but not now, like, you know, let's, let's mm. give him an opportunity. Uh, but I was delighted that it was, a, it was another um, one of those brilliant minors that came through from two years ago, O'Shea, who got the headlines. And the confidence of the man to be taking the freeze and up until the last minute to take that free to tie the game uh, before Quirk put the winner, like, it, it just showed the confidence that was going through his veins. Mm. Um, so I think that game at the weekend, Mayo ground out a win against Monaghan. 
Um, usually as slower starters like to try and just preserve their position in Division 1. They haven't won a Connacht title in two years, so like their focus usually goes into August. Um, it'd be good to see them competing stronger from the start of the year. It'd be mm-hmm. interesting to see how they're going to react, um, bringing Kerry up to, up to McHale Park on Saturday or Sunday. It's always tough though for me, there's so many players up in Dublin. Like, I mean, the, this time of year they're having half a training session in the, Dublin, yeah. half a training session in Mayo. But I'd say the thing for them is just to find players and bring players through from that under-21 team because they need players to come through and compete for those jerseys that players have had for years without really being challenged. Well, what, what we said about Kerry's full backline, I think Mayo need a, a forward coming through, one or two young forward, and Evan Regan now did very well against uh, Manon at the weekend, but they need they need that superstar where Kerry need that superstar in the full backline, Mayo would like to see, because Andy Moore, he can't, he can't keep going. Like, mm. uh, Killian O'Connor is, he's a brilliant player, I think I see him pushing out the field to be more of a playmaker if they had someone inside. I think that's where Killian O'Connor's role could be, he'll never miss it, he'll very rarely miss a free, but if he was that playmaker with a forward inside of the quality of maybe a, a Ganey of, or someone close enough to that, I think Mayo would be, you know, well well in contention again this year mm. but to find that person is the, the problem and bring them through sure and we've touched on Tyrone's issues I mean I was at I was actually at Tyrone in Dublin's game last year and it was a draw in the league and Tyrone could even have won it but they just seem to have stood sit still since then and mm. there hasn't been a lot to encourage them whereas Dublin I mean we saw him at the weekend it took him half an hour to get going straight back almost after the plane from their holiday not two weeks back in Ireland and yeah. they just look as Oh, formidable. Tough to stop as ever, yeah. Formidable. And, and you look at the, the hunger of Bernard Brogan, for example, like one of the oldest, probably the oldest player in the squad, squad now at this stage. Just the hunger and the touches and the quality and the skill that he had um, and the way he played with the youngsters around him. It was just brilliant. So, like, if Bernard Brogan is fighting that hard to try and make a, a, the National League team, imagine what the rest of them that are going to be mm-hmm. coming back into it and that are on the bench are all, they must be biting at the champ. So, Dublin looked formidable again, but... Yeah, the Tyrone thing is is interesting. They've obviously got some quality players. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, but what happened in the All Ireland semi final last year, where they went up with a game plan of containment, and it was nothing. But it, once there was a once you got through the seal after five ten minutes, there was there was no response. There was no second way of playing. There was no plan B that they had to open up, and they just decided to try and stay containing, even though the game was gone after twenty minutes. And that that can't be the way they approached this year. Otherwise, they, they won't be getting far. You mm-hmm. know, they'll be looking at quarterfinals and semi-final at most. And one of the intriguing games around a touch on Division Two, we both saw Cork go down to Tipperary at last weekend. They're heading up to down this weekend, and suddenly you want to win to kind of steady the nerves and make sure this year isn't looking back behind them rather than looking up the table. Yeah, like a, a defeat against Down, and they're actually looking at a relegation battle rather than what they would have been hoping was a promotion battle. Um, and especially as you sit there, a very important point is that they have a number of players coming through and a number of new young players. Uh, you want them to get two points under their belt. A win. You know, even Ian Maguire, I heard him talking during the week on the examiner uh, about he's a Cork captain. He wants to be known as a winning Cork captain. Like, you know, and the further, the longer it goes without a win, the more pressure he takes, the more mistakes. And, you know, his confidence is knocked. Um, and he's one of the stalwarts. So, look, I. I, I I do worry about going up to down with the, the, the squad. I think there were some glaring issues raised its head again. I think the ability to finish a goal, you know, I, I know Colin O'Neill came out and scored a goal and he's one of the, the, the great poachers, like, but we had three or four opportunities, including the penalty, uh, one that hit the post as well. Um, those need to be taken. And, and I, I, I don't mean this in any way, but like previously you'd have said against the lesser likes of Tipperary, you need to finish up. But Tipperary aren't the lesser likes. Some of the football they played on mm. Saturday was absolutely brilliant. And we'll give Cork a, a, a fistful of it um, in the Munster Championship this year. You know, this whole thing of Cork Kerry Munster final, Parky Cueve, I couldn't guarantee that this year. Mm, couldn't sure. guarantee it. And I suppose looking at the hurling games, which we look forward to, it's Tipperary v Waterford on Saturday night, a game that one takes on a bit of added importance now. Which I suppose Waterford don't seem too bothered by the league. Tipperary, they'll want, they'll want to get that win under their belt, but really it's about finding players for them that... Alan Flynn, Thomas Hamill coming into defence and looking good. Carl Barrett's back for them. There wasn't a lot new in attack. I suppose for Waterford, it's a bit like the what we're talking about with Tyrone. Nearly, the, I saw the two Prendergast brothers have both come out, former players there, and said they don't like the system too much. John Milan was saying it's a bit predictable. They're not really sure it's good enough to win in All Ireland. Yeah. So 
I suppose there's a bit of an overlap there between hurling and football in that regard, looking at the defensive systems. Yeah, absolutely. And like the, the, the Watford thing I can take because the system they brought they got to the All Ireland final last year, they had a cracking last time against Cork in the semi final. Um they got to the, the All Ireland final, but it was quite clear that the system was like they were never really in that game against Galway last year, if truth be known. They they stuck with it, they worked hard to stay in it, but it always felt that um That was their chance. Absolutely, and they didn't take advantage of it. Um, I think they'll have to evolve their system mm. if they have any chance. Mm, for sure. Um, one of the other big ones, Cork travelling down to Wexford, two teams that wins under their belts now, a bit yeah. of confidence. Wexford really seem to be targeting the league, but Cork, the young players they're finding are looking very good. Not only the ones they've found and brought into the team this year, but the ones who were there last year, three or four of them were very impressive again. It, it was incredible. Like Luke Mead came on after 25 minutes, and he just looked like a guy that had been playing into county hurling with 10 years he steadied the ship um, and he played some he scored an absolutely beautiful point from out in the wing he just looked like he'd been there with years and that's that's after just only one or one year of being involved with the setup. Um, Omani at centre, centre half was a brilliant find uh, I don't think like it's going to be very hard Like I saw it afterwards that uh, Tommy Walsh was raving about him and kind of comparing him to some of the great centre-backs of Clare and Sean. Like, don't put that pressure on the poor fella. I know it, it, Tommy Walsh gets excited and stuff like that, but um, it, it was, there was a lot of things to be quite um, happy from a curling supporter's perspective on Saturday. Um, you have a number of players out. I do think the, the Collins and goal even, you know, it seems like he's just Carol Coppio of Nash made a brilliant, a brilliant point blank say if his puckouts were hmm. pinpoint accurate um, and, and that's, a, that's a, you know, one position but they seem to have an awful lot of options and even off the bench O'Connor came on there and got a beautiful point as well hmm. as I've already mentioned at Luke Mead but I think what Cork, if, if the the Munster Championship was in the format that it was last year and the games were week after week I don't know it was Cork strict and depth there last year it was lucky that there was a number of breaks between the games um, but this year I think they're after finding that added strength and depth to add to what was already a very strong squad mm. and it's just about finding that balance now bringing in the guys like Patrick Horgan and just yeah. getting that balance between the young exciting players they have there and and, and Horgan on last year like if he can to, to do something similar even mm. above it because the pressure is off him with the hand taking the freeze as well you know he just has scope and play his heart the hurling now at this stage and uh, last year we saw the, the benefits of that and wouldn't be surprised to see him scorching through the Munster Championship this year because mm. he's a quality quality hurler and the other big one this weekend just to give a mention to it is Kilkenny v Clare there was a lot of talk about that on uh, Monday's Examiner podcast Brian Cody playing mind games they were questioning that I think that he He'll want to go out and win every one of those, but it'll be a tough task for them. They're they just they're just short a few players at this time of year. The experienced players, a few missing, a few abroad, and Claire Claire bringing in some big strong players trying to change their style. And they're looking decent. They should be a good match for a Kilkenny team that needs a win. Needs a win, yeah. And did, did I, like the fascinating thing about the Division One A and the hurling is that one very good team is going to get relegated again. Um, and that's the way it should be it should be competitive like if we want the leagues to be competitive we need that kind of you know nobody wants to go down out of Division 1A so we know that we can see in Division 2 where you know awfully a resurgent maybe not this year but that um, Galway want to get out of it Limerick will want to get out of it um, and only one of them can you know so but the, the Kilkenny Clare game uh, Clare were impressive and I know it was a late goal from Reedy that really put the to, to finish on it against Tipperary but they were well deserving of their, their victory and um, Kilkenny were, were I think at 70 minutes and I know there was a, a number of um, at a times for the injury, the injury to Killian Buckley which hopefully is, I don't believe is as serious as, mm. it, as it looked on um, Saturday night and he was having a great game actually and uh, Walsh as well from full back was having a great game um, so look Kilkenny or Kilkenny you can see a few more a good competitive game like that will bring them on. Um, I, I, I'd expect Kilkenny at home um, this weekend to be clear, but it won't be it won't be by much. But I do think like Kilkenny are not as far away from this as we think they are. Cork are out of the championship. Where did this ferocious determination out there today come from? The media, every one of them wrote us off. There was a statement in the Cork Examiner last Saturday or last Friday that there are four men on the Limerick team that would be afraid to go into a dark room. There's the answer for them, those, those four men gave and, and you're that hurt by those remarks? I'm and certainly I'm hurt, and the players were more hurt. And they're the ones who, who were insulted this week, and they've proved it today that they have this. Away from the round balls and onto the oval ones, it's time for the big one of the weekend. 
we've all been waiting for it since this time last year. A nation holds its breath. So Steve Neville, tell me, will the Patriots or the Eagles win Super Bowl 52? <laughs> Absolutely the Patriots. Patriots all the way. Well, now that's covered. We move on to the Six Nations opening weekend. That was in in-depth analysis of the Super Bowl. That was prepared. <laughs> Ireland face an unfancied and unknown French side first up on Saturday at 4.45. And I suppose it won't be the French team that's the only new field there for supporters watching at home. There'll be the big switch to TV3. Steve, are you expecting a fresh, innovative approach from them? Yeah, I, I suppose you can, you can hope that... TV3 will reflect the bright new dawn on Irish rugby and Ireland will go on and win a Grand Slam and go on and win a World Cup and TV3 will be with all the way. There's <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the, the one, one point I'd like to make on TV3, I think they've, they've got their montages right, they've got their studio right, they, they seem to look the part. I really felt that there was an opportunity to put in um, a female um, on-screen report or um, panellist after with, mm. the, with the guys with Rona Garrett with Shane Horgan because I, I just going back to the World Cup that was the Women's World Cup that was there last year and uh, I, I just remember one of the games it was Ireland Australia and you had uh, Rosie Foley who was uh, Axel's sister you had Fiona Steed who was the Bull Hayes' wife and you had mm. uh, Lynn Co- uh, Cantwell who was a former player mm. and like they tore the Ireland performance against Australia I think it was the first match of the World Cup if I remember correctly mm. tore the part you know, but and it was a match Ireland won, but they the, scored two late tries, if I remember correctly. And like they, they had friends on that team, but it was insightful analysis. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I, and I really thought, geez, this is hurling and a start of maybe getting someone on board as a on screen um, analyst at half time or before and after the games. And I just feel they just slightly missed the trick in that one. And I mm. feel it's, it's, it's just a shame. It's, it's you know, if Sinead Kazan is there as a touchline reporter for him, but it, I just felt that that could have been a huge opportunity. Um, just I, And I, it's horrible to say something like it's going to bring something new to the party because it should be there the whole time. But it, I, I really feel that it's just a, a small little glitch. Mm. Oh. With the Grand Slam winners there, that level of experience is there. I know who they do have. They've uh, examiner columnist Ron O'Gara, Shane Horgan, both of those have featured on RT previously. Shane Jennings, Matt Williams, Alan Quinlan, I think, would be on co commentary. So it's an interesting lineup, albeit with that. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. And as I said, they've, they've, they've got their montage game in perfect mm-hmm. working order. Um, their studio looks well, they've got good experience and they've got a good mix. It, as I said, hopefully they'll be able to bring in some um, experience from uh, other nations as the year goes on, such as which Sinead being on the sideline. Um, to get the other side of things but uh, no it's strong and uh, look should we know ourselves from Ronald Gara writing for the examiner here that uh, he won't be afraid to speak mm. his mind I suppose moving to on-field matters Steve it's, it's kind of been hard to quantify Ireland's successes since the World Cup they've had big results in November but in the Six Nations it's been pretty mixed I suppose Joe Smith he set the standard for himself winning this in his first two years so having I suppose fallen short in the last two is would you classify Ireland not winning Six Nations this year as a failure for this team? I don't know if I'd consider it a failure not winning it uh, because England, I think England are the favourites and you can't look beyond them to win the championships but I do think Ireland should be learning from the lessons of last year especially where they lost in the opening game and ruined any hopes of a Grand Slam like they should the fixtures have fallen in such a way where they, I know they have France away and France are kind of unknown but then after that game they have three home fixtures mm. and then they go away to England and that's a huge benefit to have three home fixtures in the, in the middle because they beat France, win their home games and then you set up a, a final against England for a grand slam. I think if they don't do that, you could probably call it a failure. But they should absolutely be, should be good until the last day. Mm. I think Ireland should be looking to win the championship on the last day even though England are probably slight favourites and I think they could very easily tee up a grand slam. And I suppose in terms of, I know that was teed up as a Grand Slam decider last year, so we better not, I suppose, jump to that too early. But it would be, like Steve says, a massive disappointment if we don't go into that Patrick's weekend game, not in contention, at least to have a championship, if not yeah, the Grand Slam. Yeah, I, I actually think that um, I wouldn't have been so disappointed um, if Ireland had a 4-5 or five record at the, at the end of this Six Nations. But seeing the injury problems and we were just alluded to it before the, the podcast started seeing the injury problems that nearly all other Six Nations team have where we've been slightly blessed now look we're missing one or two players as well but it's the quality of the backup that we're able to bring in that you actually don't realise that look Sean O'Brien is out um, who else is out is Reese Rogerdock is out uh, uh, Gary Ringrose is out Ringrose is out for a few weeks you know so 
they're not even being talked about. What we were actually mm. talking about is Zebo and Burn not actually making the squad. Um, and like with the way George Schmidt has always picked the team, they were never going to be probably in contention anyway, which is a, a different podcast altogether. But um, I, I think there's a huge opportunity here for Ireland, but they must make sure to beat a young and experienced and possibly hunger, hungry French team on uh, Saturday to kick things off. As, as happened last year, we, we started off against Scotland thinking, geez, they're easy. Not, I won't say an easy start, but a game well capable of winning, and we were well beaten. Absolutely. I think as well, going to, going to this French team, and because a lot of their players are very young, people don't know a lot about them, I think Ireland need to start that game really, really well. They need to go out straight off the blocks and they need to lay down a marker, score early. Because if France build up some momentum against Ireland and if it's a tight first half and it's close at half time and then going into the second half, the fans start getting behind the French team mm-hmm. and then you could be looking in a dodgy situation where mm. maybe it could go right down to the wire and then worst case scenario and lose it. And I mean because we know so little about the French team, I mean they're out half of the nineteen year old mm-hmm. at the moment. I mean if Ireland don't start well, it could be a disaster, and it could be the same scenario as last year, where you're kind of finished before you've really gotten started. I I was reading a quote from Conor Murray about Joe Smith saying he knows every player in the world and what arm they carry the ball with. Do you buy into these kind of these notions that Johnny Sexton saying they're kind of going into the no, unknown? They're not sure how France are going to play. Is that a legitimate worry? I I don't know. I think the France will play sort of they play they try and be in your face that's what they tend to do against Ireland they try and target Johnny Sexton but they are missing Bastro who was their public enemy number one for Irish teams but I think they can they won't have as much preparation done on this French team as they will have for other teams because France are missing so many players if you're talking about the injuries there I mean France have been decimated with injuries missing Morgan Parry is probably one of their best players um, so from that point it would be interesting but I mean they'll know a lot of the other players they know a lot of forwards, I mean, Joe Schmidt has always name-checked a couple of our forwards. I mean, they know Machinot from Racing, the Munster boys know him very well. Mm-hmm. So I think they won't have, like, it's not as if they're going to the game thinking, God, France could do anything here. Like, they still know who the players are, they still have videos of the players playing the club. And I mean, if you believe everything everyone says about Joe Schmidt, he'll be meticulous in his analysis before the game. Mm-hmm. So he'll have looked at the, the French, the full French squad when it was released and he will have had analysts checking out every single one mm. of them so I think he'll be as fully prepared as Ireland can be and it was interesting reading Don Lennon's account of the French squad I mean they literally came together last weekend they had introductions between players between players and coaches between coaches and coaches he was listing coach, a list of about six coaches who turned France down and you mentioned the 19 year old uncapped not even capped in the Champions Cup fly half Mathieu Jalabert is in there but um, looking at Joe Smith's record in the Six Nations over his four years, bar if you take out the Italian visits to Rome, he's had two away wins out of eight mm. in those four years and none in the last two years. Is that a worry going away to France or is in France kind of the one place where you can turn that on, on its head with the restless crowd? Well, well what you got to remember as well, and I, I'd say it goes back a lot further than um, Schmidt, the Schmidt era is that Ireland have only is it three or four wins in France. Um, in, in the Five Nations and the Six Nations. like There's been many years over the last 15, 20, let's say the, the good spells for Irish rugby where we've gone over there as, you know, Pepin or Stead coming in after a good autumn series, you know, expecting to be challenged for Six Nations or being in the middle of contending for the Six Nations. And we've lost. And um, I, I don't expect an easy game against France. I think if Ireland can get on the scoreboard early, as we just said there, um, and start controlling the possession and territory, uh, being important, keep the crowd down, don't let any of these young, cocky French guys get um, up ahead of themselves and put them back in their box. I think that's crucial. The first 20 minutes here are, are, are massive. And, and, and just going, going to the record, it, it is surprising actually those stats that Joe Schmidt is on a two out of eight record in the away matches against the non-Italian uh, um, game. So th- that is a worry, especially when you've, um, you've also got England away in this championship, which is being teed up as the Grand Slam decider, you know. So, mm. look, you'd hope it goes down to that game in Ireland are 4 for 4 going for a fifth. Mm. The thing about the away, about the, the away record, it's not great by any stretch of the imagination, but I mean, it's, it, it clearly shows just how tough it is to win away, and that's how and Ireland will have to be so careful going to Paris, because really this French team, they haven't much to lose. I mean, no one knows what to expect from them because they're they're missing so many key players it's a brand new coaching ticket I mean 
brand new style of play. Even it, it mm. could be different styles that the, the the new coach tries to bring in. Jacques Brunel. I mean, he was only appointed last month, so France really have nothing to lose. So they can, if they, they're kind of expected to lose there because they're in the third best team in the world. So if they lose, they lose, and if they win, I mean, it's great for them. So mm. really, they're going out completely calm, unfazed by this whole thing, which will, which makes them a very dangerous side. You might consider my next question a bit premature, but I know last year bonus points didn't make a material difference to the placings in their first year introduced. France, they're firmly fifth favourites for the Six Nations. Should Ireland be targeting a bonus point here? Uh, I'd say no. I'd say target a victory. Mm. Absolutely target a victory. And because um, I think the, I, like fifth favourites for the French for the French with three home games is a, you know. That, they're nice odds, you know. I'd be um, I'd be expecting them to take another scalp or two during this championships. And as I said, like if they get their confidence up, and even if it's a performance and they lose and their confidence is up, they won't fear the Welsh or they won't fear the Scots. Or they'll they'll could they'll obviously be fancying to beat the Italians, like. Mm. Um, and then if that if that's the way it's going, that they'll have the English in as a week three. I think of the the fixtures now. It's actually in week, week four. four. So like if. They put two of the three victories up and going to beat England. They won't fear them either. That's in that's in Paris as well. So um, no, I think if, they're, they're, if, they, if you ask me, they're mad odds for the French being fifth favourites. I don't think Ireland are going to go out looking for a bonus point though. I think they'd, be, they'd go to Paris looking to win the game because their record in Paris has been so is so poor, and wins in Paris are so hard to come by for Irish teams. But I mean that said, I mean. If Ireland see, reckon if if the chances are there for tries, Ireland are going to take them. So mm. they're not going to be afraid. They're not going to be. It'll be probably in the back of the mind of a few of the senior players. Best Sexton Murray, thinking if we get a foothold here, let's have a cush. But mm. I, I think the main goal is just to win the game. I think so, yeah. And we know about those senior players, best Sexton Murray. But I suppose, and we're speaking, we should say before we have the luxury of hearing Joe Schmidt's team named. But there's talk of James Ryan, Josh, Josh Flanderfleer coming on board. Dan Levy, a potential impact sub, Jacob Stockdale and Jordan Larmer on the scene too as potential starters or squad members. They're all aged between 20 and 24. Steve, who do you think could make a big impact in this tournament for Ireland? Well, all the talk is on Jordan Larmer. And, I mean, he has been exceptional for, uh, for Leinster in the weeks coming off. I mean, the Pro 14 and the Champions Cup. I mean, he's been superb. He's scored some wonderful tries. His defence has been good which I think is crucial for him. I mean, everyone knew who he was attacking when the Champions Cup. People were kind of wondering about his defence and he proved that he can make tackle when, the, when, when push comes to shove. I think James Ryan could have a really, a really good uh, a really good campaign. I think he's really exciting. He was good in November series, good in the Summer Series. Captain of the 20s. Um, he looks good every time he plays and with, he's kind of overtaken Alton Delan in the sense that he is now the backup second row with Toner and Ian Anderson. I mean, there's even talks that James Ryan is going to start ahead of mm-hmm. Toner going into going into the French French class. And I mean, if anything, uh, Ty Burn Burn not being selected in the squad gives James Ryan a really good opportunity to put down a marking and stake his claims that I want to be in the panels. The World Cup is coming. I want to be starting the World Cup, and it's a perfect opportunity for James Ryan. So he's, I think he's really interesting, and I'm really looking forward to seeing him. You can, you can see why in a way uh, while you might not agree with it but you can see why Joe Schmidt uh, doesn't uh, seem too faced by the dropping of Ty Byrne and Simon Zebo when you have players of the quality that are going to be not even make the match squad on um, on Saturday but um, look you also, you've also got Bundyaki in there who probably isn't as young as those lads but it's his first um, first foray mm. into the Six Nations with Ireland and I'm very interested to see how he's going to match up hopefully I think he'll be probably in the centre with Robbie Inshaw mm. who's still only 24 who's still only 24 yeah. like, uh, and like the two of them combined um, a small bit of an experience like both with, with Aki and you, you saw that in the Autumn Internationals he was trying to do a small bit too much you know rather than being a bit more secure with the ball and going through the phases he was trying to get it off but I think Ireland needs somebody like that. They need somebody to take the risk. It used to be Simon Zebo that would try the elaborate pass or try the elaborate one. If we if we have one or two to set the likes of Hinshaw and Jacob Stockdale has four tries and four games for Ireland as well. Um, so I, I, I think the combination of Aki and Hinshaw in the centre would be very interesting. And if, if we mentioned before about those two, but Aki, is, Aki and Hinshaw, they're quite lucky since they played together at Connacht. They really won the Pro 12 of the West End. So they have that kind of familiarity with each other, which is 
which is a huge benefit for Aki and Fred going forward. Well, you, saw, you, like, you take the, the, the best Irish inter-partnership over the last 20 years was Darcy and other schools that played together at club level for years and had that understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be very interesting to see the Hinshaw and Aki um, taking off from what they've already known. Um, but th- there's, there's also tries in that Irish team, which is great to see. Mm-hmm. You and know? hopefully... I mean, we haven't even mentioned Keith Earls, who's like a... a who's, who's playing like a 22-year-old yeah. at the moment. Mm-hmm. I think with Ron O'Gara had uh, Old Dog New Wheels. And I mean, he is absolutely he, outside of Murray and Murray Sexton Fernand. I think he is the first name in the team sheet because he is performing so well for Munster at the moment and he's scoring tries for fun. <laughs> and he's just always in that right position to get over the line and touch them. Uh, I heard a very interesting thing with Brian O'Driscoll a few weeks ago, and um, uh, was, and he was talking the evening day, but he was talking about um, how Keith Earls loves picking up picking off teams as the game is getting on. His concentration levels are so much that he knows when to conserve energy. Not that he's not trying. He knows when to conserve energy to keep it for when players are getting tired and then he takes his takes his moments. And we saw that from Munster there recently enough again. You know, and um, you'll see with maybe some of these French back rows uh, getting tired as the game's going on, it'll be key turns will become a very pivotal role for Ireland mm. Paris. And he came off with a black eye in the last Munster game there, do you think? I suppose looking ahead to Paris will be tough to be physical, do you think? We'll manage to get the win, Steve? Yeah, I do. I think we'll win, yeah. I think it'll be... We'll, we'll, I don't think... I'm not 100% in the bonus point, but I think we'll win. And as the game pushes on, we'll get more comfortable. And tournament expectations? The optimist... I'm, I'm always the optimist to learn, and I always get let down. I want to say we'll, we'll be in a grandstand decider, but... I think England might just just pip the championship, but I'd expect Ireland to be in a grandstand decider on the last day of the tournament. Mikey, Francis Saturday in the tournament as a whole? The Francis Saturday, I can see um, I can see if Murray and Sexton control the game, Ireland will win this by 10 plus points. Um, I, again, I wouldn't be too confident on the bonus point. I think just get the win on the board, hmm. a good solid performance. Um, I think you're going to see some bits of flair from France. You just knock the hand ahead and be a consummate professional performance. Um, I wouldn't go as far as saying it to be a Grand Slam decider. I think Ireland will be in a championship decider the last game of the week, last game of the Six Nations. I think uh, England will start getting players back, I think, after weeks two and three. Um, some of the players come back from injury, and as well as what we talk about, or Murray, um, Sexton, um, Furlong, even being at the top match again, they, they have Owen Farrell and George Ford, who I think are just exceptional ballers. Uh, and had a great bench as well. Absolutely. Mm. You know. I mean, if you look at even their, 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 their second row alone, they have Laws, Otoje. Uh, Cruz and Lashbury. I mean, they're that's they're four, they're four second rows. Yeah, and Courtney Laws can play back row. I mean, four of them could get into any team in the world. Absolutely, yeah. So I, I think if we're coming down to a championship decider, because you you got to remember Scotland are on an upward curve, and the Welsh are are the Welsh. They're never easy to beat. Uh, home or away, um, Italy will give it a lot of teams a lot tougher games in this Six Nations than they did in previous ones. I think Conor O'Shea factor is going to play a huge role there. We've seen some better performances from there. Uh, pro 14 um, teams as well so um, overall I think we're in a championship decider in the last weekend I think we should take that well it hasn't started yet so I'm going to go Grand Slam I'm booking my Paddy's Day weekend <laughs> off I'm all for it so it's time to celebrate now before it all gets going um, up next soccer and transfer deadline day it's not just about the man in front of you it's the team behind you you fight together or you fall together only one team can stand tall Ronan O'Gara Donald Lenehan and Simon Lewis write exclusively for the Irish Examiner throughout the rugby season for their brilliant insights on this week's key matches get behind the Irish Examiner so on to football and we've had the transfer merry-go-rounds and we've had the crisis merry-go-rounds too which United, Chelsea and Arsenal plunged into the darkness just as Spurs and Liverpool emerged at the other end but Rob, we've just come out of the transfer window who do you think are the best January of the top six? Well, you don't really get a, a trophy for winning the, the transfer window but United certainly got a um, metaphorical trophy in Alexis Sanchez I mean, that has to be one of the best Is Mourinho going for the metaphorical treble this year? <laughs> well, look, I mean, you can slag United off all you want, but they're second in the table, which shows mm. a vast improvement on last season when they finished sixth, um, and we're in sixth for practically the whole season. Mm. Um, they scored more goals, they conceded less, they more points, so 
Look, in, con- in contrast to, 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 to City, um, yes, you know, they're very far behind, but they are having a good season. But Sanchez is a bargain, but is he the bargain United needed? Um, I don't know if he's really the, the player that United needed, um, unless they play him in the centre behind um, Lukaku. Um, I don't really know. I mean, maybe, look, he started against Yeovil on the left in the FA Cup, and I can see the logic in playing him there. But what United need, and it's been highlighted over and over all through the season, is they need somebody who can cross the ball into the box. They're, they have numerous wingers that can cut inside and take shots and play little passes in between the lines, but they need someone who can cross the ball mm. into the box. They missed out on Perisic um, during the, the summer transfer window because United wouldn't pay the extra bit of money for him. Um, and I feel like he's been a great loss to us because with Lukaku in the centre, and the other place, players that we have um, getting the ball into the box um, in the air and quickly is, is what United need. I don't think Sanchez provides that. Mm. What I do think he is, he is he, he's an upgrade on Mkhitaryan who, for whatever reason, he, it didn't work out for me United. Um, whether that was a mentality issue, whether it was a work rate issue, I don't know. But he seemed to, you know, he started off the season fantastically well. Um, he played really well in the Europa League last season, was probably the most important player in that competition. Um, but for whatever reason just went off the boil and um, I think Arsenal will their best player moved on to a rival well I don't know if you can call Arsenal a rival Man United anymore but the position that they're in I think they also had a good window um, because they brought in um, Aubameyang and got Mkhitaryan now where Mkhitaryan fits into the Arsenal team I don't know does he play in the same position as, as Ozil mm. that's probably where he's most effective playing behind his old pal Aubameyang but also a sign new contract so that probably means that Mkhitaryan is going to be shifted out wide which is a position he didn't really flourish in for, for United you know um, because he doesn't track back and he's just another diminutive attacking player um, for Arsenal they didn't address um, uh, the, the, the issues that they have further behind but uh, in terms of players that they brought in Arsenal also had a good window mm. but is it a similar problem for Arsenal there Mikey where They've brought in players similar to what they have and maybe not addressed some longer standing issues that are there that really need to be looked at. Yeah, I think you could nearly say that about um, nearly the most of the top six, that they're, they're starting to get a small bit top-heavy. Now, Liverpool tried to address that in this window. They, they brought in Van Dijk, mm. um, paid a lot of money for him, and he hasn't had a great start. Like, you know, I think too much has been made of his start. I think he'll be, he is a good addition to the Liverpool. They're never going to win the uh, Premier League this year. They need to consolidate a Champions League spot. I think they probably will. Um, and then they can build again in the summer, and they should really be having a, a tilt off the title next year, especially it's going to be Klopp's is a third full season. Mm. Um so look, I think this um, United. I actually, I think defensively, they've been they've been very good over the last. They had six clean sheets in a row leading up to last night's the, the game against Spurs on Wednesday night. Um, but I think defensive midfielder, the, the the way the United play, I think that the two sitting in front of the the back four of which Mourinho likes, you have Matic and you've won more, like. They've, they've been playing Pogba there for the most part it's worked but I think are we losing something by having Pogba there and like last night our match was run riot by Son Ali Eriksen playing in behind Kane they, there was no one there to help positionally Paul Pogba wasn't fully mm-hmm. in tune with what Mahesh did Mahesh ended up having a very poor second half but I think that was because he was running around after shadows for the whole of the first half and, and, and maybe that is where United need to look at getting in somebody who's Disciplined, I think is probably the word. Matic is disciplined and maybe someone to win because Herrera is this kind of a terrier kind of a player. He goes around, he back at the heels, he's great on a marking job as Rob has previously pointed out on the, mm. the hazard situation. But, um, you know, I think to give you the foundation to allow your attacking players to, to work because you don't want Sanchez to, like what happened last night when Sanchez went into the 10 position is that he started dropping deeper and deeper to try and win the ball and then you were just left with mm. um, two wingers and a striker up front with no support. Isn't the problem that three of your best players there are tens, like Lingard has been doing an excellent job there. Pogba, you can tell he just needs to be there from how he just pushes on there. I've already said Sanchez, that may, might be his best position. Yeah, you're kind of trying, trying to fit square uh, pegs into, into round holes. And it, Pogba is, is a great player to, to take the ball from the defensive players and, and drive um, into, the, into the attacking area. But I totally agree with Mikey there, he's not disciplined enough. He doesn't seem to have the the sense to play in that position alongside Matic, Herrera, 
you'd have to question is he of the the quality needed to play against the the, the way the defensive way that you know you play against the likes of Spurs, City, those kind of teams. Um, so we definitely need a player in there who can who can be alongside manage and and kind of form that kind of I suppose back six if that's the way Mourinho wants yeah. to play against the top teams mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the best way to play I don't know if it's the way United fans want United to play um, but it seems to be the way uh, Mourinho prefers I think the you know so they're going to control more money of the problem I think the, the player that United could throw in there is already in the squad and um, he's currently playing a centre back and that's Phil Jones he has played in midfield for United on several occasions in fact when he signed for United first that's where Ferguson played him was in that holding midfield role he actually popped up with a couple of goals on occasions I think I remember one game at Villa Park uh, where we won 1-0 where he scored the winner um, so he might he might be a good option to, to put in there but I think Mourinho prefers him as a centre back so you know Eric Boye being injured and Marcus Rocco not quite being fully fit yet is affecting our options um, defensively but, but, and just before we, we, we move on from United um, I don't want to get stuck there but what I don't understand as well is that I thought over the Christmas just after Christmas um, where United came out of that lull especially during January their left side of attack which was Luke Shaw and Anthony Martial mm. seemed to be on fire mm. and, and they really seemed to have got a combination Martial had got his confidence up had scored a few beautiful goals and uh, all of a sudden last night in one of the bigger games when you have two players with confidence you had Ashley Young and they, no, fair enough you have Alexis, Alexis gone in there but why, why take Martial out of there as Rob said you're putting square pegs into round holes I'd have left Martial there and Shaw was a natural left back and Shaw was a natural left back who had got his confidence up and was kind of showing the glimpses his fitness level seems to be an awful lot better than it was let's say this time 12 months ago and uh, they seem to be forging a partnership so leave that leave, leave well alone and leave that there I, I didn't understand that I must say um, from last night I suppose looking at the talk about who had a better transfer window I'd put it to you that the likes of Man City and Liverpool who may not have got everyone they were looking at but they had I suppose a bit of a luxury of choosing someone and paying that money City really wanted Laporte they paid a club record fee got him Liverpool, for better or for worse, wanted Van Dijk. They paid big, big money and they got him. And City were... They, they would have liked Sanchez, but when they got a bad, bad vibe from him, they were willing to walk away. And same with Maris when there was a lot too much money there. I would put it to you that City and Liverpool have had excellent transfer windows. I don't know if Liverpool... Had I think they still need a goalkeeper. Hmm. Liverpool still, yeah, they still need a goalkeeper. They, they lost their best player and, and didn't replace him. Um, which is going to affect them when you come into March, April, when the games are really tight, and you know you need every point that you can get. And losing a player like Coutinho, who's a match winner, um, you know, is is going to have a real effect on them. The Brian Van Dijk, um, yeah, I mean, look, he will he will improve them. He hasn't settled in quite yet. He's made a few mistakes. Um, they had that loss at Swansea, and they also had a disastrous game against West Brom in the FA Cup. Um, their last chance of silverware this season is the Champions League and realistically are they good enough to win mm-hmm. that I don't know uh, they might not have a free run to the final like they had in 2005 when they had a, a poor team um, there's I mean are they, are they good enough to beat the likes of Real Madrid Barcelona PSG Man City even I don't know mm-hmm. um, so did they have a good uh, transfer window I don't think so no they did maximise the value they got for Coutinho though as well. That's one thing I would add in there on that I, point. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. They, they got good money for him and um, I think Barcelona won't see the fruits of Coutinho's looms until mm. next year. Um, I don't think he's cupped out for Champions League, isn't he? Exactly. You know, um, but he, like, they need an heir to um, Iniesta um, and Coutinho, in fairness, has has the ability to do that but he'll need to settle in first um, it's hard to fill shoes that size we call it um, what I think is one of the most fascinating things from the transfer window and again it was reiterated midweek is Chelsea hmm. what in God's name goes on there the season after they win the, cha- uh, the championship hmm. it's just incredibly odd uh, Conte I don't think will let he'll, will he get to the summer even you know, yeah. you know that's, um, I, I think it's very bizarre they brought him Ross Barkley and it appears that Conte doesn't even want him um, there was a lot of the transfers I don't think Conte's fingerprints are on them there was the chase after Andy Carroll and there was a lot of rumours going around about Ashley Barnes and a few Peter others Crouch. Peter Crouch yeah, which was quite heavily linked as well 
Um, and they just seem to be a club that they'll win the championship. And then there's some kind of, do the players think they're untouchable or do they, does the manager not get the support from the owner or is it a combination of them all? Yeah. I'd you say know? some of it is the manager turns around, he's won the league, I think, so now you're going to back me. And the backing just isn't there. They, the transfers clearly are club policy. Even they were probably appeasing Conte in some way by getting Giroud, who they wouldn't normally pay money for a striker in his thirties. But even then, you're not exactly buying a long-term plan or even probably a first-choice striker there. It's not very exciting. Or I nearly argued that Giroud, with the way that Chelsea want to play in terms of deep crossing from deep crossing from their wing backs and. Um, that hazard to run, run the middle and Giroud to be in the box for the crosses I think Giroud is probably nearly a better option or as good an option as Maratta um, especially with Maratta's dip in form he's the, the burden of being the lead striker for a top team is really weighing heavy on him some of his erratic performances and even discipline um, so I think the whole Chelsea thing is it's a bit of a mess and at least it's nearly crying out for Carlo Ancelotti to come back in for a while again like and they have, they've got, the players they have brought in, they've got in at good prices, I think you could say. But it's kind of baffles me why they wouldn't back Batshuayi, who's a guy who's impressed in the few times he's given a chance by Kante, but who Kante just doesn't seem to want. They did the same thing with Lukaku. Mm. Um, they, they, they'll argue that he didn't want to be at the club, but they weren't willing to give him the opportunities. Mm. Um, and in terms of their, their transfer policy, it seems to have gone from gone after superstars like they did when they went down at Torres in 2012 to mm. shopping in the bargain basements because maybe the owner doesn't want to be throwing the money around anymore. Um, I think they're in real trouble because there's question marks over the manager whether he's going to stay. The squad is ageing. Um, they, they lack options up front. Um, there's question marks over Courtois and, and Hazard. Will they go to Real Madrid at the end of the season? Um, I think Chelsea are in real trouble to be honest um, they've, got, they've got a couple of really really difficult uh, fixtures coming up and I think priority number one for them will be to just try and stay in that top four and make sure that they have mm. Champions League next season because they are vulnerable at the moment um, especially if Spurs and Liverpool come into form and we haven't mentioned Spurs yet really I mean talk about the transfer window first before we get to I suppose the boost that they got from beating United I mean They've kept with their strategy, they've kept costs low and they dipped in there at the last minute and mm. picked up what was probably a bargain in Lucas Moura there. Yeah, for, for years this guy was being linked to United and even I'd say at the start of this transfer window was being linked to United, definitely nearly every summer he's been linked to United but they've got some very key players back. Aldevira at the back is just, he really is a superstar at defence. Um, he, he combines brilliantly with Kane when he, and his brilliant pass with the ball sets Kane free and I think Harry Kane like the more I watch him and he really is the real deal his movement off the ball he should have had maybe two goals midweek against United uh, he really does look the real deal he always gets a shot off he does yeah and he's not afraid to you know he's not just the guy who's in there for the crossing or the set pieces he's a guy that's working the channels um, it must be a joy to play with for the likes of Eriksen, Ali and Son behind him as well Like, um, and then the, the, the strength that they have in Dembele last night he's one of the best dribblers of the ball you'll ever see um, is Dembele um, but no I think Spurs like there's, there's five teams if you ask me going for four spots at the moment if you're looking at it I think Chelsea are the most vulnerable of that I, I, I can see Spurs picking up victories now they have a tough run of games ahead of them um, but I can see them picking up enough victories Um to get him into the top four to see them beating Liverpool away from home <laughs> that should be a crack I think Liverpool at home as we saw against Man City they just like they went through a 10 minute phase and they were nobody in the world would have stopped them um, they have that in them um, if, but I do think that Spurs' defensive style would be more equipped to play to cope with that than Man City's was uh, in terms of style of play I think Man City were trying to play continue to try to play the ball out in um, in a pressure environment like that, which wasn't working, they didn't have the plan B. But it's sorry, it's, it's completely worked for Man City this year. It would not, shouldn't be changed. But uh, I think the structure that Spurs would have would be better capable of coping with that on at the weekend. Liverpool Spurs, Rob. Um, Liverpool or sorry, Spurs don't have a great um, record against the, the top six. I think that's something that's been kind of held up as um, a little uh, blot on uh, Pochettino's um, copybook. Um, I do think they're probably man for man a better side in Liverpool more solid defensively as, as Mikey said but um, that Liverpool front four like, would be very very difficult to stop um, at home at Anfield as well um, attacking into the cop maybe in the second half I think Liverpool would just edge it 
And finally, we've talked about the top six. Looking at the other teams, Sturridge to West Brom, you have Delafeo to Watford. Mm. I mean, there's Walcott to Everton. Is there any bargain among those or any other one that stands out for you? Well, I actually think Everton. Like, Seamus Coleman back last night is nearly like a new transfer from this season. Like, he's got that drive determination uh, he's obviously a quality fullback and he was Sam Allardyce trusted him enough last night to put him straight back into the first team when he was fit and he had a, a wonderful game so it's brilliant to see him back from both an Irish uh, perspective as well as an Everton perspective um, so he's back but Walcott uh, stuck two goals last night I'm sure Gilfie Sigerson assisted one of them so like just a small bit of pay. I think they, they offloaded maybe one or two of those players I think did David Klassen go off and loan as well um, that just weren't cutting the mustard at Everton and that they had too many people blockading that number 10 spot throwing the likes of Calvert-Lewin again into with Walcott um, and a few of those other younger English players um, that would hopefully get now I saw yeah I, I saw Luckman actually went out on, on loan as well I only saw that this morning Austria yeah very an, an odd one um, but I, I think what Everton have done is they want to consolidate their position in the top half of the league and I think with with getting in Walcott and with Seamus Coleman back they've done very well I think the storage one is interesting Newcastle are crying out for him I just don't understand I don't understand that club full stop mm. with the support base that they have and the revenues that they would be bringing in for both the TV money and the, and the stadium I, I just don't understand why they're, they're pinched tight with their money um, the, the, the fans up there deserve something better than that Rob, any other standouts from the window? No, I, I think I think Sturridge is probably the most interesting one from the best of the rest. Uh, if if West Brom can keep him fit, um, it's probably the first time in the last God knows how long that they've had a striker who can actually get you a few goals, you exactly. know, uh, which will consolidate them um, this season and will, will definitely help Pardew keep staying the job. I don't know about you, my signing of the window is Carlos Carvajal. Swansea manager, he's already in. He's beat Liverpool and Arsenal, he's all smiles. Petr Cech gave him his jersey after the full-time whistle, smile on his face. He said, the, he said the victory was sweet like honey. Beautiful stuff. <laughs> See you all next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 